0: This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. Mm -hmm. Hi, I'm Evan. And we're going to talk about the People's Republic of Walmart, how the world's biggest corporations are laying the foundation for socialism, Uh, which is a book, (laughs) nonfiction book, by a couple of dudes it's i'm not sure they're dudes one's lee phillips and the other is michael rosworski um rosworski um we listened to the i listened to the audiobook uh, produced by tantor very good audiobook um Mm -hmm. you recommended this or maybe you didn't recommend it you mentioned this book and i'm like that sounds great um the cover that i've got is kind of boring but the cover on Amazon for the paper book is really funny. It's it's like the Chinese flag, but the wall with the Walmart symbol in the corner instead of the oh. star. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, I kind of recommended this book because at the
1: time I was reading John Kenneth Galbraith, mm-hmm. and oh yeah, you were I was rereading his New Industrial State, and this never mentioned in this book. Mm-hmm. which I guess it doesn't really need to be mentioned, but. That book was written, like, in the 60s, and basically his argument there is the U.S. economy is planned. Um, and and it, it kind of, he says, it sort of has to be, because you're dealing with these... Actually, one of his first books called uh, American Capitalism, it's about countervailing power, mm-hmm. and he argues that, basically, you get this consolidation, like Carnegie and J.P. Morgan, and you get these big firms. And that's just kind of how, once you get a technical... A certain level of technology that's—it's only big corporations that sort of can manage it Mm -hmm. and run it. So, what is—you know—this sort of destroys the Smithian idea of a free market, right? Of Mm -hmm. a large number of producers and a large number of consumers creating kind of the free market. And he says, like, what you get then instead is countervailing power. So instead you get like farmers co-ops or labor unions or the state becomes the countervailing power sometimes, Mm -hmm. and they sort of. So it's like, it's, it's like a kaiju or something battling, right?
0: (laughs) Humans can't,
1: can't fight them. You know, Godzilla comes in, you need all to come in to
0: take on Godzilla. I wish that was in this book. Although there's a lot of really, really, it's a really funny book. It even starts off funny. Um, I mean, it's not a joke book, but, uh, I don't know. I find people who are like this style of humor. Uh, they tend to be really fun to talk to because they read some books. (laughs) Um, And uh, so, yeah, it, there's a lot of it's not just, you know, jokes and uh, wry observations. There's a lot of facts in here, lots of stuff I had never heard of before. But um, I remember I got really obsessed with I had sort of a. I was writing a thesis basically in high school. <laughs> I sort of forgot about my classes. I started writing every essay I wrote for some classes was about the same topic. I just like spin it because I was, I was obsessed by it. And basically, I was saying like, yeah. um, this idea of cooperation rather than competition, you know, like imagine if we're playing a football game, right? And the goal of the game is to try and get as many points for everybody. <laughs> we can get a lot more points. <laughs> if we're all fighting each other or, or yeah. even like just the two teams fighting each other. Right. But if it's, if it's every player, you know, it's a battle Royale, every player for himself, Alliance is only temporary. um, mm-hmm. The number of points scored is going to be very, very, very low. And the number of points yeah. scored in, in a cooperative game is very, very high. And uh so, you know, th- the topic would be something stupid, like what is your favorite sport? I'm like frisbee, <laughs> yeah. because when you play frisbee, you're you're trying to throw it to a person so that they can catch it, and when they catch it, they're happy and you're happy, and then they throw it to you and you're happy, and when somebody's deliberately not trying to play the game with you and they throw it up onto the roof <laughs> instead of throwing mm-hmm. it to you, the game is ruined. So, yeah, maybe we should do stuff like that. <laughs> And like, there's so Mm -hmm. many ways you can, you know, not ruin your economy, or another way (laughs) of putting it, just ruin your ruin your life. Um, (laughs) by by, you know, sort of planning things out so that everybody's gonna enjoy themselves and get get, you know, we're much better at you know fighting animals like wild bears, uh, when we coordinate Mm -hmm. rather than we just run around with our heads lopped off, you know. (laughs) So
1: yeah, that's I I, I just did this. This um, YouTube video on Proudhon, I've been very slowly doing these little anarchist bits, these little introductions to different anarchist, uh, you know, writers. Just i only have a handful out so far, but I, I did uh, Proudhon's "What Is Property," mm-hmm. and he talks a lot there about like this, like all labor is collective, right? right. Like you never have this individual worker who's like in a in a shop. Even the cobbler, even the medieval cobbler who has his own shop, his own tools, is relying on, you know, his apprentices, relying on the leather tanners, Mm -hmm. the tool makers. And, you know, he can't function on his own. And if someone did live in a cave and make his fish poles or whatever, Mm -hmm. whatever kind of the anarcho-capitalist, you know, want to say is the... They always have these thought experiments like, oh, five people on an island, and Mm -hmm. they all... Have their own little corner of the island, and they all produce something. They all trade. It's like they're going to make really shitty stuff, mm-hmm. right? If you're just all by yourself, not in cooperation with anyone, yeah, right. You're, even your Paleolithic hunter-gatherer, as you said, they couldn't have hunted much of anything alone.
0: Uh, uh, that, uh, that's I mean, like not, it's even na- a squirrel,
1: it's not even that hard, it's in not nature. To catch a
0: squirrel on your own. Animals yeah. do this, you know, instinctively. Like so many things are instinctive. You know, wolves—they don't hunt. Uh, lone wolf is the starving wolf, right? Because you can't surround, you can't drive enemies, right? This is it, even normal human hunters, you know, they have beaters, yeah. <laughs> right? Whose job it is yeah. to make the animal uh, fly up into the sky. And then, you know, if you're doing a manhunt, a human hunt, uh, you want to mm-hmm. cordon off things. It's all about planning and coordination. And and so much yeah, pushing of pushing
1: them off cliffs. Yeah. A lot oh, of, that was geez, like of course. Push Pushing right? off cliffs. Hey, yeah. start
0: some fires here. And you know, you know, you know how the animals react. Um, mm-hmm. you use the, the, the whole thing <laughs> about humans. What makes us way better? It's not the bigger muscles. It's not the sharper claws. It's not the sharper teeth. It's not the uh, lightning reflexes. It's the ability to like coordinate and plan where animals can't. Right. <laughs> We we can say, you know, we're going to plant these trees and then in 50 years, uh, your grandson's going to be able to chop this tree down. That's why we're planting this tree. I was like, oh, well, that seems like a long time away. Well, how about this, this other kind of tree? It'll grow up in two years and then we can use it for firewood. It's like, okay, I can imagine two years from now. (laughs) So it's like some people have a, a bit of trouble doing that, you know, planning for the next day but as a whole i think the smart mm-hmm. what really makes us successful and smart is is the planning thing so this yeah. is a uh, a book basically about planning and whether it makes sense or not but uh i found i found a number of revelations in here that are uh really yeah. interesting history but the biggest one is what is it, what's it called cybersec uh, the, yeah, the, uh, Chile one, the Chilean internet from 1971 yeah, yeah. to 1973. is like, what the hell? I've never heard of this. And yeah, uh, they barely had, you know, enough computers to get it done. They had lots of issues starting off. They don't even have the model of the internet that, that, uh, DARPA is working on or ARPA, I guess it would be back then. Mm. Um, and, and yet. Uh, it seemed like it actually was working and being very helpful, lim- limited as yeah. it was. And mm-hmm. uh, terrible. Why, do, no. why? Why do we ruin this thing?
1: <laughs> well, there's actually a couple revelations for me, or, or more challenges, I guess. And well, the one. Let's start with the challenge. The the one that. Sort of challenged me to try to rethink things or, or think more carefully about it. Is is big data? Mm-hmm. You know, I guess I was because I was reading too much Philip Dick for so long. Right. I just, you know, feared big data. I mean, Philip Dick obviously was terrified of anything like that. But you know, this has forced me to at least question whether we should be quite so frightened of big data, mm-hmm. right? Because p- planning on the scale of modern economies, it's going to require that. So it's something if we want to have the benefits of of cooperation across the economy in some kind of democratic way it's
0: it's going to rely on you, you sort of enough. just have to yeah. uh, you have to ask what your goals are if your goals mm. are to have a highly stratified society with uh, a small number of you know owners guarding a a tiny <laughs> a tiny mm. uh, ca- cadre of um goal on a large cadre of gold at the top and then a lot of servants who have to be, you know, kept in under repression at the bottom. And mm-hmm. then, a, a, I don't know, a small percentage of functionaries in between them. Um, you can have that. We, it's, we can definitely do that. <laughs> but if you want to yeah. have like a, a, massive, uh, middle class where most people's needs are generally satisfied, uh, we can do that too. It's all a matter mm-hmm. of, you know, planning. Um, so yeah. uh, it, it's, it, It seems to me like the people who, I'm not even, I'm not even saying you have to choose one. I'm saying like those are all options on the table. What do you want? Yeah. You want to have a a Mm -hmm. massive stratification? We have models for that. Um, but I, I keep thinking I, there is a a great YouTube video by a guy named, uh, his account name is bad empanada and he does. It's a very funny name. He's, he does basically explainers on uh, tons of South American countries. Um, he lives in, <laughs> I think he's from Australia, but he lives in uh, uh, Argentina, uh, kind of quasi-illegally because um, he doesn't have a job, <laughs> right? And he's not a citizen. Um, but his revenue comes from doing YouTube videos. And uh, he did one on how Cuba works. It, I don't know. It's like 45 minutes or something like that. And it was like, oh, yeah, there's all these facts about, like, Cuba's a planned economy. In fact, Mm -hmm. they're planning all day long, and they have all of these kinds of difficulties, almost all of them caused not by anything they did wrong. Almost all of them are caused by their next-door neighbor, who is really, really, really (laughs) mean. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so one of, the, one of the examples is there's a, uh, a rule in the United States is that they can't deliver, uh, no, no ship that visits a Cuban port can deliver anything else to an American port, uh, within six months. So you're uh, steaming from, uh, I guess, I don't know, South Africa and you, you have a choice. You could visit Miami or could you visit Havana to drop off your, your stock? Um, if you stop in Havana, you can't go to Miami, not for six months. Mm -hmm. So where are you going to go? The, the, uh, biggest economy in the world or, uh, one of the smallest economies in the world. So almost nothing gets delivered. Uh, you know, Cuba has to specially commission their own deliveries and those ships are not going to be as frequent. And so consumer goods from outside of Cuba are highly expensive. Um, they still managed to somehow deal with this and not have a terrible economy. In fact, if you look at the outcomes, what kind of outcomes are we looking for? Uh, me personally, I'd like to be, uh, since I'm not knowing what, if you're behind the veil of ignorance, right, this uh, philosophical mm-hmm. idea, um, not knowing what class you're going to be born into, I'd like to be uh, to hedge my bets and I'd yeah. like to have good health care, Education, maybe a house to live in, right? Um, maybe a job, but that sort of stuff. Okay. So Cuba has a, uh, a big, big problem. Um, and yet they, they have better outcomes for their general audience, I don't know, general population than almost everybody in Latin America. And they have the opposite of strikes against, you know, they have so many strikes against them. The only, you know, comparable number of strikes would be to Venezuela and Venezuela's planning problems are planning problems, right? Mm -hmm. It seems to me like this idea of, you know, you you have to plan well is a, is really important. And there's this, uh, I think it's a quote from Mike Tyson, but maybe it's not. (laughs) Um, it might be from somebody else. Uh, or may, it might be a World War II one, and just transformed. It's basically everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, you go, you going to go into there, into that ring, and you say, I'm gonna punch him low, and I'm gonna punch him high, and then I'm gonna block his blocks, and then as soon as he gets punched in the face, out goes the wind of the plan, right? Uh, there's a very similar yeah. one, I think, from World War II or something. It goes like, um, "No plan survives contact with the enemy." Mm-hmm. Yeah. So,
1: but I think like one thing I think this book is really good on. I don't know if either of these writers were Soviet experts. I'm not sure their know. sources or anything. I didn't have the footnotes, but the, the the stuff on the Soviet Union I thought was really really useful because the argument that it it was just not really that well planned. Mm-hmm. They were kind of making it up as they went along. And slow they, reaction. Of course, time. we're under war, inv- foreign invasion, all sorts of problems. And they had this kind of authoritarian kind of political system that they inherited from the Tsars, and there was, that wasn't going to be that easy to break free from that. And you ended up with just bad planning. Authoritarianism creates bad planning, mm-hmm. was the argument that these authors make. And, you know, everyone that I talk to that's on the right or kind of a capitalist defender tends to say, well, the Soviet Union was planned, and that proves. And so that's the, I don't need to argue anything else. I don't actually have to talk about these ideas because the Soviet Union failed. Yeah,
0: that's what they t- taught me they really in economics class. They yeah. uh, the 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 word I came away with, and I, it didn't show up into this book until quite deep. Uh, the phrase was command economy rather than uh, planned economy, which is, I guess, the non pejorative mm-hmm. one. I mean, the thing is, is it was a command economy. Uh, Stalin says, "We're producing tanks, right? More tanks." And you know he has a few consultants, but this is the Maoist economy as well, right? More pig iron. Um, (laughs) Mm -hmm. people don't want to tell him the bad news. You know, people are melting down their cutlery to make more pig iron. Um, this is a bad, this is a bad problem because you don't want to get, you know. So if if you have like a, uh, this is why I think the argument you have, uh, you just get a AI in charge. Um, an AI in charge. It does a poll, you know, I don't know, weekly poll mm-hmm. of what people want. What are their top concerns? And then the AI says, okay, this is what, what you're going to do. And this is what you're going to do. Um, no politics, just, just getting stuff m- moving things along. Right. And the thing is, is this is, uh, it was interesting. My, my roommate, I don't talk about my roommate very often, but my roommate is, uh, he's a, a planner for like uh cargo ships organizing you know what goes on them how, when they're gonna go, and all that stuff sounds sounds to me like a really boring job, <laughs> but uh you know he wasn't put out of work by computers planning he works with the computer's plan plan, and of course this is happening all over the world right anywhere you've got a port there's somebody whose job it is to coordinate the The Mm -hmm. ship loading and that job is a job that all sorts of different companies need, right? And that's the kind of the the point of this book is saying, look, Walmart's a terrible, evil company, but they are a planned economy. They are trying to get this to happen. And like just how retail works in a certain sense, the behind the scenes in retail. Who, who is going to stock those shelves? Well, Walmart says to the company that's producing product for their, their stores, you're going to stock the shelves. We're going to agree to what it is, how much you're going to stock, and you're going to come in and do it. We're not even going to be involved. And it's okay. like, Oh yeah, of course. That makes perfect sense. And who benefits? Both companies, right? Now, of course, yeah. It doesn't have and consumers a perfect, actually anyway. of course, and it doesn't have mm-hmm. a perfect you know it's not a perfectly equal relationship i I read or maybe it was a youtube video again a youtube video about- co- how Costco works um and mm-hmm. Costco's a really interesting uh thing because it started off uh, when it really started off early right there was a a couple competitors which they merged merged with at least one they merged with um it was designed to be like uh, wholesale, right? I don't even know if it says that anymore on the sign. Costco wholesale. But the whole idea was, you know, retailers looking for access to supplies for their business, you know, big tub of mustard, big tub of tomatoes. I don't know. Um, could go in there and buy cheaper than at another retail store and not go through a warehouse distributor, um, you know, ordering and delivering you know, you're having I I don't know, it's something like you're a uh, caterer and you suddenly get an order. You need mustard, mayonnaise and pickles and beef, right? So you go there, you load up your your trolley and you buy it and then you sell it as a finished product somewhere down the line. Um, the way Costco works is if there is not a company that is producing a product that they can put on their shelves for the price they want. They make that product. So that's why those mm-hmm. uh, Kirkland brand products exist. They say, look, there's a demand out there for this sort of thing, but the company that we're dealing with doesn't want us spend that money. Let's produce this product. And so you have way less selection. Than you do at a grocery regular grocery store. You have one flavor of mustard at the store, right? It's French's. Mm-hmm. You have your French's, or you have nothing else. You have the uh, what's the ketchup brand? There's the one flavor, right? There's no so if yeah. if there is no product available at the price they want to sell it for, then they don't just give up. They go and make that product because they have a massive number of stores all over the world that they can supply it with, and they don't necessarily want to even do it for all of them. So there's some products that are only made for uh, you know, the West Coast and some products that are only made for Asia. And it's like, oh, this is really interesting. And then why are their prices so low? Well, people think, oh, it's because they're wholesale, right? <laughs> they're not really wholesale. What they are is they're... De- determined to make their money by having membership renewals. Almost all their money comes from membership Mm -hmm. renewal, their profit. Mm -hmm. Almost none of it comes from the retail sale. And it's like, oh yeah, of course that makes so much sense. You know, every year you pay 60 bucks. And whether you go or not, you are paying that 60 bucks. It's like gym memberships. Mm -hmm. So that that kind of planning uh is only able to be done on a large scale, you can't do that in a small, little, you know, mom and pop shop. So,
1: well, I never even even bought this idea that like consumers care that much about having you know fifty different choices. Of course, for we don't, or whatever, right? Like, we want the one product that we Aldi. want. Aldi is chain. Do you remember the store Aldi? No, it's a grocery store. I think it's from Germany, and mm-hmm. it's kind of been spreading in the U.S. And I, I think I first started going early two thousands, and it's really spread quite a lot and back in the early 2000s when it first when I first started going to these stores they literally were just there was one type of everything one size you know like one shape of pasta mhm and it was all like just just in on pallets they just brought the stuff in on pallets and, and you just kind of like Costco's that way mm-hmm. you know, right and it was like it saved my life when I was in graduate school cuz you you spent a third of what you spent at the regular grocery store mhm And it's changed a little bit. It's because it's got more diversity, but it's still the same basic format. There's not that much choice. But I, you know, it's always full when I'm there. I think, you know, maybe people actually like having not having all that choice.
0: Uh, It makes your life a lot simpler. Yeah, because uh, and the the other thing to think about is you actually do have choice. You can go to a different store, right? But once you're in. Right. Once you're in that store, you're gonna buy whatever is there. So it's a um, uh, there are other ways to do it. The way Amazon does it, right, is, is buy up the the stores, and then the the f- no matter which company you choose, you're still buying it from Amazon, right? Yeah. Um, but
1: but that, should we go back to the mom and pop stores? Yeah, a little go bit? for it. Because I mean, the you know, there's a lot of like. Pearl clutching about like the mom and pop stores, mm-hmm. and with these protests across America, it's sort of coming back, right? It's like oh, yeah, we're like smashing the, the target. 31st it's of- okay. Yeah. I get that, but you know, you can't, you got you can't touch the mom and pop stores because they're so, uh, they're so precious. They're so crucial to, you know, the American ideal or something. This entrepreneurial ideal, mm-hmm. and yeah, maybe there's some tragedy there. There you is know, some. Families have been, some stores have been in the family for, you know, 100 generations or whatever. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I care about things like how much are they paying their workers? You know, are they providing health care? Are they paying minimum wage to their workers? You know, often they pay less than like Walmart or, Wait, or about uh, the same.
0: If you're an employee of a, yeah. such a business, you get paid more sometimes than the owner of that business. Ask me how I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because I'm required but, to pay minimum sure to wage and I, I can work all day trying to get enough to pay that person. Yeah. True. And then this book goes a
1: little bit into ecology, but more in an aspirational way saying planning might solve climate change or these other sure. challenges. Especially but ecology. The but yeah. I think, you know, there, this was a short book. Maybe if they had a whole chapter on this, they could have gone into it more, but it just seems intuitive to me that shipping from big warehouses directly to consumers is better for the environment than shipping to a bunch of different small stores. They could take books, right? We can have one big warehouse Mm -hmm. that kind of sell, that distributes all the books. Let's, let's make Amazon a public utility or something, Mm -hmm. right? And it's all planned to be most efficient or whatever. Or we can have thousands and thousands of brick and mortar bookstores where they ship books to there where they'll sit on the shelves. Maybe they'll be bought. Maybe they won't. It's you get Those stores that have to be lit all day. People have to drive to them to pick up the books to buy them. Mm-hmm. I, just, I just wonder if the ecological cost potentially could be much less for for Amazon maybe someone knows well i mean that's what we're horrible for the environment just because well that's what we're seeing anyways right
0: so the, the the example there's a a minnesota uh minneapolis based pair of bookstores i think it was uncle hugo's and uncle edgar's um i've never been there but i i heard about it on twitter and they're a science fiction bookshop and a uh, mystery bookshops paired. We had one here years ago uh, in Burnaby that was um, very similarly uh, two bookshops that are natural allies, right? Maybe owned by the same person. Maybe really one just big store with two signs, you know. Um, science fiction and mystery. And uh, that one closed. But in the latest uh, events in Minneapolis, though apparently those two stores burned. So... Oh. I don't think they're going to come back. And if they do, it'll be unusual because Amazon model killed, uh, used bookstores. Yeah. And there are other things that killed it too. Uh, cheap shipping in the US made it, uh, you know, medium, media rate makes it much more convenient to trade books. Uh, there's a great website my friend Scott uses it's called Paperback Swap, which is basically You know, you give your books, that gives you credits, credits get you books. So it's, it's literally swapping books around. Um, there are many ways of efficiently doing this. I use Abe books, uh, until it got bought by Amazon. Um, now I use, you know, the Canadian equivalent to Barnes and Noble. It's called chapters. Um, and I love bookstores. There's, uh, one down the street from me that's, you know, the branch and, I don't go there because they turned it into, you know, fashion retail, <laughs> you know, with a few books. I don't go there very well, often, which is a shame. Well, I so- grew up
1: in a a small town, and it's not until later on when I went to college and graduate school that I realized how limited the bookstores I had avail- available to me were. Mm-hmm. I mean, I had a a couple like uh, stores in a mall that sold books, usually, you know kind of crappy books now that I think about it. No, Um, airport books. And Walden Books. There was a Walden Books there, Mm -hmm. which only sold like the bestseller stuff. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it wasn't until I I went to a bigger town and had access to good libraries that I started actually being exposed to a lot more writing and a lot more literature and things that I never had access to before. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if I had had Amazon, you know, my reading experience as a young person would have been quite different. I think um, just because in small towns, you know, those small bookstores are never going to exist there anyway. So and you're limited to whatever the library way, has. It's, well. it's kind of like they mentioned the, you know, the, the cheap, like high speed internet in rural areas, mm-hmm. why big corporations don't find it cost effective to do it. The same reason Barnes and Nobles doesn't find it cost effective to set up a Barnes and Noble in some small town in in Maine, mm-hmm. but you know, Amazon gets you the stuff.
0: No, it's, it's,
1: oh yeah, it's evil, but it's, well, I I, I don't know, know. I think it should, be, I think it should be a public utility. I really yes, think uh,
0: there's so yeah, many yes, things so. that should be public utilities. Um, this is, um, this is, uh, r- r- there's a fun little incident. So, you know, uh, California, I don't know about most of the States, but I know California has private electric electrical grid, uh, yeah private power generation, et cetera, and they've been having they or they were having brownouts. I don't know if they're still having brownouts, mm-hmm. rolling brownouts, because, you know, they're just badly planned because they're trying to extract profit and they're not fixing the the hardware, you know, that needs to be fixed. Um in my province there's a, a number of uh Crown Corporations, which are, you know, publicly owned corporations. Um the uh, all insurance uh for cars is uh, crown corporation. So you don't buy private insurance. You buy from ICBC or you don't buy at all because that's all there is. Um, and their prices are their prices and they're higher than other places. On the other hand, uh, they pay out when you have a car accident and yeah, people do scam them, but, uh, the profits aren't driven into the hands of a uh, small select group of people you know, who own that company or who have stock in that company, they're collective profits, right? Any profits made by the company are provincial profits, right? So that makes sense. And then we have the uh, BC Hydro, which is the electrical system for almost all the profits. There's actually a, a couple of cities. Uh, one nearby here, New Westminster, has its own uh, electrical system, which is it's owned by the city. And there's one in Nelson, British Columbia. And there's another one on the island, I think, and that's it. Everybody else is BC Hydro, which is, you know, makes sense. You're making dams. You don't want to have them in private hands. Things go wrong, yeah. um, which they recently did. And uh, when the COVID thing hit, um, the province uh, commanded that the IC, uh, BC Hydro, you know, make it easy for people to not pay. Um, and so if you're a BC Hydro re- user, which is almost everybody, uh, you could apply to get a three months credit and everybody can apply, right? So I would just say, just do it, pause it or whatever. But, uh, I, I was curious. I was like, Oh, what if you live in New Westminster? Are they going to do it? Oh, it turns out they did it, right? So they did it too, but they had to do it separately. And then Nelson, uh, small town of Nelson, they they decided not to do it. And so if you're one of the Nelson residents who's not working and, you know, you just can't pay your hydro rate or whatever it's called there. Mm-hmm. As, and that economy of scale, their explanation was you're going to have to pay it in higher rates anyways later on so you don't have to. I was thinking, well, yeah, <laughs> we're going to have to pay it in higher rates later on as well. But that's the point is we can do that. Uh, but when, so these economies of scale thing where everybody gets together and says, this is what we're going to do. And that's like, you, you get a lot of benefits from that rather than having mom and pop generating their own electricity, you know, (laughs) with a generator, uh, on their, uh, I don't know, condo deck. (laughs) It's just really stupid to do it that way. You know, I'm hauling in gasoline through my apartment, pouring it into the thing. That's not the way to do it. Do it, you know, and don't have, you know, a thousand different phone systems either and a thousand different internets. Mm-hmm. I always, um, obsessed with that idea of all the, all the things they, they talked about DARPA. They didn't talk about all the NASA products, the products that were made for NASA to get to the moon, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, but the, the number of, I think there's a list, uh, in this book and I don't have it handy. Of all the the, phone stuff, the cell phone, all the technologies that are in cell phones that we're all benefiting from. And we attribute to Samsung and, (laughs) uh, I don't know, LG and Apple, right? All these innovations. And once you start looking at it, you really realize, Oh yeah, almost all of these, these amazing technologies that we take for granted have nothing to do with private interest, you know, uh, competing with each other. They have to do with public uh, funding of basic research and saying, mm-hmm. let's solve this particular problem. And then they figure it, <laughs> figure out a way to do something. And then the patent doesn't belong to a particular company. It belongs to everybody.
1: Yeah. I is... think these guys, they did a really good job hitting how like the free market argument for like something like innovation, it just mm-hmm. doesn't pan out because Absolutely. this innovation isn't happening. I think David Graeber made this point uh, that like we're actually getting slower with like travel speeds because like the 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 Concorde mm. it's, it's not being run anymore. Mm-hmm. So actually, air in the last 40 years there hasn't been any imp- real improvement in consumer you know flight times you know for for air travel. I Hate
0: to tell you this, but uh, that's were invented but, in World War II, <laughs> yeah. right? Well, what, what, yeah. what have we got since then? Uh, well, the, we've got a few yeah. military jets that, you know, scram yeah. jets, right? And those weren't uh, corporately funded. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were built by those corporations at highly inflated prices. But the the spurring for those technologies, you know, satellites weren't done by private enterprise.
1: And the most horrifying thing is just the lack of innovation in healthcare because it's vastly more profitable to treat a disease as chronic than to actually
0: just cure it. Absolutely. And that's, again, going to – if you look at – it's not mentioned in the book, but if you look at Cuba, their health outcomes are really good and they don't have a lot of drugs, right? They can't get a lot of the stuff that – so what do they do? They spend a lot of time on prevention. Mm-hmm. And uh, how's their uh, medical yeah. system? Uh, they export doctors. That's the, one of their main resources, right?
1: But I, I'm wondering just what could have been like had we continued with like that public, like if we haven't if we didn't hand everything over to corporations for innovation or see them as the skeleton, yeah, you know, the magic, the magic bullet that's going to solve all our innovation problems. What we could have had if, if we continued that same kind of. Even even something like the Bell Labs, right? That's a private thing. But the you know the reason the Bell Labs exists, my understanding of it is because corporate tax rates were so high, there really wasn't that much reason to take all that profit in those days. Hmm. So they just put the money that all that money that would have been taxed at a very high tax rate anyways, and just said, okay, we're going to build this lab, right? And we're going to have people just innovate just sit around and think and do mm. stuff. And there was all kinds of cool of mentions from that too. There's I thought a- I stole that argument about people about why we should have high tax rates anyways, just because it's not even about revenue. It's to uh, just, no, are incentives. High salaries. Yeah. Because if you tax income at over a certain level at 90%, there's no reason for businesses to pay those high salaries. And so they'll put that money into workers' salaries Oh, it, it or creates into, massive distortion. Innovation or expanding the company, right?
0: Yeah. Something like that. If you if you if you can incentivize people at the top with cash to do, you know, if you do X between now and the next quarter, um, you you get this bonus. What happens is they dr- I mean, they drive companies into the ground. I I've seen so many companies, uh, you know. It's an audiobook company, right? They're doing great. They're a family business. They're running really great. And then suddenly they they think they're doing – they're great, but they need just a little more cash. And so they go public, and then it's immediately doing stuff it wasn't doing before, really bad idea stuff, because they think massive expansion. Like, it's kind of like the way Netflix's shows go, right? Like, there's just so many now. They're greenlighting, greenlighting everything. Um it's almost none of it's good is because they think if we can just dominate the market, we'll put all our product out and then it goes out of business. <laughs> um, there are real good reasons to think that small companies that are growing, uh, are maybe outside the purview of, of, um, I don't know, government takeover. <laughs> right like i i I don't know that uh hair and nail salons which there are a lot of around here need to have government uh you know it doesn't need to be a crown corporation in my view (laughs) um yeah because the economies of scale don't make sense when i'm going to a particular person to do my nails or my hair right Mm -hmm. i'm going to that person not to that company and if i don't go which i like, I just got my haircut recently, right? If I don't go for a while, it's not the end of the world. Um, mm-hmm. where you want the, the companies to be very responsive to the needs rather than the desires is in the big moving stuff around thing. So does it make sense <laughs> to have every, every grocery store deliver instead of picking up? I'm not sure. Um, I think it depends on the costs, you know, that 99th delivery thing doesn't, then, you know, get it 99% of the way to you. And then the 1% you have to go to the, to the, I don't know, post office to pick up your parcel. Um, mm-hmm. on the other hand, if you look at how efficient it makes things to have them delivered right to the door, right? Basically, it isn't a question of ideology at all. It's a question of does it make sense. And that yeah. is really the, uh, the takeaway that I always, uh, it's like, I'm always saying like, well, it, it's probably just ideology that did that, right? Like, you say, no, 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 that's not true. This is what we believe. X, Y, Z. Don't say that. And then if you look at it, oh yeah, the reason they're doing these kind of crazy things is they believe this works and they are excluding all contrary evidence.
1: All blanks yeah, are that, blank. That was what Galbraith really talked a lot about. I think he, he had that, uh, the contravi- or the contravailing wisdom or something, mm-hmm. some term like that, that. You need to... It's just, and it, 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 for him, it was classical economics. That's what he was fighting against, right? This idea this, you, that, there, that a market, a free market exists setting price. And in the new industrial state, he goes into a lot of detail that says, now the price is basically set by oligopolies, mm-hmm. big firms. They set the price. Because there's it, only like a handful of producers for any one good, right? Um, so and there's what, the costs, your free costs. This doesn't exist. It's just it's not even an issue. Should it exist? It's you know it's it's a fantasy world mm-hmm. to to say, oh, we should you know just workers go and make deals with employers and you know there's all these producers and everyone's making these things and they're trading and bartering or yeah, whatever what what it, is it, it the natural make, exist, labor it cost exist, It can't exist with the technology
0: what is the that we have today? natural labor cost the free labor cost for any particular you know person working 8 hours a day uh, that's the wrong way to look at it what you want to say is what do what does a worker need to have a good life you know, yeah. to not riot in the streets and burn down their neighborhood, to not, uh, yeah. you know, kill people who are trying to, you know, keep them in place. And then you say, how do we achieve that? <laughs> That's what you do. And then uh, you say, oh, we're having trouble uh, achieving that for some reason. And let's say, well, let's find a different way. <laughs> or maybe that job just doesn't need to be done as much as we think it does. Right. So it's, okay. it's uh, sort of the absence of ideology. It's saying, like, what are our goal, whatever your goals are? How do we achieve those goals? Right? If we want to defeat the Nazis, what should we do? Um, it isn't a theoretical where we sit back in the, uh, you know, I don't know, in Canada or in the United States and, and just talk about how to defeat the Nazis. You actually act- have to, like, go put your tanks into combat with them and say, oh shit, mm-hmm. they seem to be, uh, better at, doing this than we do. We need more bombers. We need more, uh, anti-tank weapons. We need more, uh, XYZ and s- responding as a kind of a, um, uh, dynamic. That idea of, you know, no plan, uh, survives contact with the enemy. Absolutely. When I play, uh, a player unknown battleground, right? <laughs> My whole goal is to survive. A lot of other people, they have mixed uh, motivations, like they, they want to get into a fight. They want to get loot. They want to, I'm, I'm whole thing is, how do I survive? I want to get to that end. And the question I always have is like, how will I, how will I benefit? How will I somehow get through this? Right. And I have a number of sort of default modes, like, okay, if you get attacked, run away. <laughs> this makes sense. Um, if, if, uh, you can, uh, Survive better by uh, taking the fight then do that. And I'm not necessarily saying I'm the best player at all. I'm not. I'm just not that fast. And there's lots of things that go wrong. And you, you know, you're playing with people who are not helping you win. Right? There's all sorts of things like that. But it's a very uh, William Jamesian approach, right? What's
1: true works. The pragmatism, right? That's what he and called it. and like, what is true is what works. And and, and when that, I have a that's plan, that's
0: what made that. that I'm just saying, when I have a plan, like, I'm going to go here and get a glider, which means I need to get some gasoline, load up the glider, I'm going to go land on a mesa and sit out the game, right? I also have, try and have a default other thing to do if that doesn't work out, right? Oh, there's another vehicle here. If there isn't one there, there will be one here. If I get attacked there, you keep your back to the sea, right? So that you can't get snuck up on, right? A whole bunch of plans, a whole bunch of dynamic yeah. things, and it isn't an ideology. The only goal is get that chick a dinner, <laughs> right? yeah. get whatever. So we can achieve all sorts of amazing things if we just sort of keep a our plan, our goal in mind, right? Don't yeah. go under. Don't I- make enemies with your people you don't need to. Go for it. <laughs>
1: Well, I, that's why I found the this conversation here about Sears. It was it was mm. basically like porn.
0: Oh my yeah, I, god! I found
1: it so hilarious. I I didn't know how this story. I never heard this before. I, of course, I, I, I knew Sears it yeah. went basically belly up. Now, my grandpa, he was like, like he kind of grew up with Sears, you know. Mm-hmm. So till the day he died, he bought Sears appliances, and uh, that's, that's where we he always went to get stuff. He was yeah. really loyal to them. So just because of that, I kind of noticed, and I kind of was like, "Well, what happened to Sears?" Right. You know, but I, you know, I didn't really. I was just, I just kind of saw it as just one of a chain of businesses that failed. I didn't know about this internal history mm-hmm. that's described here. That it was actually someone who tries to apply, you know, an Anne ideology, yep. <laughs> an ideology to their business, and it was. It was hilariously catastrophic. Oh. Right? These different departments competing, or how you couldn't have a sale because one department would say, "Well, that's going to cut into our profits." You know, it it was super. Uh, the I lingerie mean, department more yeah. than the hammer, the hardware department. What so was the story uh,
0: on Mother's Day? They had uh, uh, I don't know a motorbike <laughs> or something on the cover. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was uh, yeah, that internal economy and yeah. it, it, it it this sort of idiocy that, i mean honestly i like a lot of libertarian uh ideas of like leave me alone don't don't interfere with my life but when you apply it to economics you're just an idiot because it's like saying to your kid newborn baby okay we're going to give you this milk <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're not going to we'll forget about it. We're going to charge you. We're going to put it on, the, on an account, and you're going to have to pay us back. <laughs> well, yeah, that'll make your family they, great.
1: <laughs> they really do believe that a free market is good, the best, most efficient way in every situation. So the question asked by these authors is, then why not have every single worker in a factory being basically a subcontractor, right. a free agent? And, you know, the factory can have two or three different warehouses with wood and, you know, the workers on one side of the factory have to pay (laughs) the workers in the warehouse for the wood and whoever has the best price, you know, that would be a, you know, once you present it to them, they'll say, well, obviously a factory has to be planned. (laughs) You say, okay, so if a factory is planned, why not uh, an economy? And then they'll fumble around. I, I, well, I mean, they, I they point us, these so, arguments you, you know. out with my with my um uh, my colleague who's an AP economics teacher, and you know I, I kind of threw some of these arguments against him, and he didn't really have really good responses to them. Just it's not how it works. Yeah.
0: You know, the free markets. <laughs> you know, still the That's best. Not way in the something. textbook, my friend. <laughs> but the
1: thing is, they're absolutists, and I'm not. Like I I think planning. Probably doesn't. I don't want planning for everything. Like no movies. I don't. want My movies planned or my video games centrally planned. So I'm not. How, the, how I'm about not, your podcast? Do you like listener. your
0: podcast planned? Because the way I do it, right? I, I set a date. I pick a book. I invite some people. Mm-hmm. Some of them show up, and I have no notes generally, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Um, seems to work out pretty good. Seems to per- yeah. work out pretty great, in fact. Um, because if I said, I'm going to say this, Evan, and when I say this, you should say this, uh, that's a lot I of planning. I think some
1: podcasts are, are, are planning.
0: Of those, course, and, the, and they're pretty bad, a lot of them. I, I mean, and, and the ones that, you know, you can o- totally over plan things, right? You need to leave room for all sorts of stuff. But. Uh, they talked about transaction costs, which is something I, I studied e- a little bit of economics. I didn't get a major in it or anything like that, but I went to university for 16 years. My favorite thing to say because it's really funny because <laughs> it's true. <laughs> and so I took a lot of everything and I really, really liked economics and it was answering all sorts of questions I didn't know, uh, I needed to ask. Um, and also left a lot of questions. For like, why, if everything's, if, if free trade's so good, why are we doing so badly? (laughs) So, uh, it's the dismal science. Um, but we have, we have a number of explainers. And what I kept thinking during that Sears incident in this book Mm -hmm. is, um, so you've got this human being. He has hands and feet. He has genitals and eyes. He's all ready to, you know, live his life, but the hand, his right hand wants stuff and his left hand wants stuff and that's called food, right? Food and, uh, you know, blood and stuff like that, you know, getting the glucose to the right places and oxygen. Um, but no, we've got to put up little barriers in between all the cells, right? And if you don't believe in planning you can't have multicellular organisms it don't work yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there are things called forests and forests are full of species that actually do cooperate with each other but they don't do it mm-hmm. based on let's have a, have this agreement between us let's sign a contract it took billions of years for this to develop <laughs> Unspoken agreements, right? <laughs> unspoken uh, dynamics between different species. It isn't planned in the sense that yeah. uh, God drew a drawing of what everything would look like. Rather, it was an emergence of what we would call a plan if we were attributing it to a something. That's a difference between us and the rest of the animals. Again, we can... Uh, go beyond just our genetic programming and learn stuff. A- a- and I mean, some animals can learn behaviorally how to do stuff, but you take a little puppy <laughs> and you howl at it. Mm-hmm. It's never heard a howl before. It knows exactly what to do. Throws its head up high yeah. and it starts howling. And that's not, you know, being taught. It's just something being triggered within it. Um That, was built in over millions and billions of years. We can ascend way faster than that, just by coordinating and copying. That's that's basically what we do. So,
1: if you, yeah, that's the idea of social ecology. That that, on the one hand, that's allowed us to kind of trample over nature and and devastate it. Indeed, and because we're we've kind of kind of totally liberated ourselves from. The constraints of nature in many, many ways, Mm -hmm. maybe not ultimately, but in many ways we have. And, you know, but that's not the only way we could have constructed society, or we're not certainly, we could have a more ecologically sustainable culture, right? And because we, and partially because we can do things that animals can't do. And Mm -hmm. one of those is plan and organize societies and structures and even ideologies, even ways of thinking Mm -hmm. about things can be cultivated. Can transform the way we interact with each other and the and the world around mm-hmm.
0: us it's very uh, very handy <laughs> 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 makes things yeah. happen. And I'm in favor of it um, <laughs> if you're if you're not in favor of multicellular organisms, <laughs> uh libertarianism <laughs> might be for you <laughs> but I think
1: the, the, thinking of the just the complexity of just one multicellular organism, especially us yeah it, it's kind of akin to the economy we have i like he mentions how many products during like in the just in the Soviet Union were being produced and how the kind of the central planning mechanisms kind of started breaking down because they didn't really know how to handle these thousands and thousands of different consumer goods that were emerging in the Khrushchev era.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Right. And that puts strains on that. But I think one lesson of this book is they didn't have the technology.
0: Yeah. That's, that the, they're leaning now. very heavily they, on that as the idea of yeah, like, like partially the big data. Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: and and that's why they think Walmart Amazon, these companies are the vanguard almost because they're the first to kind of put all this technology together into the planned economy. That's why they're planned so well, Mm-hmm. right? Not necessarily in every way in a beneficial way for all people, certainly mm-hmm. not to the workers. But you know, we're yeah, at a Sears, stage where Sears's we have the business computer, model the
0: computing power. Mm-hmm. Sears's business model wasn't broken. It was it was no. a broken. It was a company broken by its directors, right? It was a company broken. It was actually kind of
1: the Amazon at the time, I think. It uh, Absolutely.
0: Right? I, I I used to work it, for Sears. Uh I didn't yeah. work directly for them, but I worked for the catalog. And one of the things that was so great about the catalog is you see something, <laughs> you order it, it comes in the mail, right? Um, That's called the uh, Amazon, right? <laughs> you see something, you order yeah, it, it comes in the I mail. Think another important part of that is if you're in...
1: Like some rural community this was Sears was so important for rural communities for rural consumers in the United States a hundred years ago, even fifty years ago, because they just didn't have access to brick and mortar stores that would sell them things so Sears Sears or other similar companies was the only way you could get those products mm-hmm. but I think that's that's my that was my experience,
0: and that was when, their success with, right with that, Amazon it, it is delivering just had access to things. Delivering product that was wanted to the place that it wanted to, it was wanted, right? and you would order something from the catalog. If it didn't fit, you sent it back, just like Amazon. The the model is not different; it's just the 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 scale. Um, you know the the uh, speed slightly improved, uh, not even always slightly improved. Depends on you know your mail system. And yeah. So, uh, the, I think the
1: recommendations, they made a big deal of the recommendation system.
0: Yes. And that was um, interesting too. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because that's something like, uh, uh, early on, uh, and I don't know, at the web, I guess, um, I was writing reviews for IMDb. I'm writing them for me, right? Mm-hmm. I like, mm-hmm. I watch the movie. I want to write about it. Um, and then I realized, oh yeah, I'm just helping whatever company owns this thing. Um, make money. Why am I doing that for free? Mm-hmm. I'll write it on my own website, right? And people do that, everything. Every time we end a Skype call now, it says, how was your call? <laughs> like, yeah. thanks. You're eating a little bit of my time. <laughs> I'll tell you. I'll complain if it's bad. Don't well, worry. I
1: think these guys think that the key to a more democratic planning isn't something like that, though. That, that everyone is sort of contributing in, in some way, that of course. it's somehow more democratic than like the Stalinistic model. Of course, and so it, it makes may sense a little. You might be exploited. Like certainly with like Facebook, YouTube, those companies are certainly exploiting their content creators. Oh, right, hundred you know, percent. every time you put a a post up on Facebook, you're creating value for that company, and you're yes. never paid for it. Yes, right. But but that's also. Once you realize that, that's a potential to create a very different conception. But of, if it's a public oh, utility. And owned.
0: Uh, yeah, it should be a public utility. If it's a public so utility, what like. uh, it, it's not. So what, what? one of the things I do when I'm not doing a podcast, I'm making PDFs, right? I find some magazine that's been scanned I, or I scan a book and I put it together in a package and I put it up on the website and I say, look, here it is. I don't know if you'll use this, but it's here. And eventually, somebody will probably look at it. Um, sometimes they do. Sometimes I look at them. Right? Um, I'm doing that not to as a favor to the author, because the author has no stake in it anymore. It's just their hmm. what they produced a long time ago. And I'm not doing it as a favor, uh, you know, to a private corporation, because that'd be infuriating to me <laughs> if I was doing that, like making a, somebody else rich uh, off my labor for. For no public benefit, um, I would be highly against that. Um, so yep. sometimes people who do similar things to me get upset uh, that somebody didn't credit them, right, <laughs> in this creation. And I'm like, well, yeah, but if it's for the public good, um, you, you're one of the public too. You have stock in that thing. Yeah. Whether you know it or not. Uh, and so it isn't something that should – it's it's not an artificial uh, – especially with like electronic stuff, right? MP3s and PDFs. It's not uh, a scarce thing. It's the opposite of a scarce thing. It's an infinite thing. And so whenever some new magazine with a bunch of stories in it is uh, brought forth to me, I find it, I can – share that with other people, and it's wealth that grows. It doesn't get diminished mm-hmm. when someone else takes a copy of it and reads it or adapts it into an audio drama or whatever. It's something that grows. But as soon as you say, no, we're locking this down and uh, it's owned by this corporation, it's this patent, set of patents that we own, and you can't do this and you can't do that, then that is a disincentive to do the work, right? Right. So, uh, so, again, I'm saying, like, you, if you turn a lot of stuff into public goods, you can actually have more contribute. I'd be happy to give feed- – in fact, I just did give some feedback this morning to, uh, I don't know, some government MPs' um, proposal for UBI in Canada, right? They wanted signatures to present to the parliament, I'm like, sure, I'll sign that. Absolutely. I want to give that feedback. I'll go through the little hoops to show that I'm a resident of Canada, right? That's a good thing. But if I do those same things for Amazon, I review the, I don't know, butt plug I got from from (laughs) Amazon.com. Great butt plug. This is exactly what I needed to do. Plug me up real good. (laughs) Then uh, I'm actually helping Amazon and Jeff Bezos. And sure, whoever reads it, if it's a good... Review, I guess, gets some sort of benefit, but I'd rather just it benefit that review benefit everybody, right? So yeah, we, we can, we, we could totally, uh, worry about things being taken over by governments or, you know, crown corporations. There are things to worry about there. Absolutely. Uh, things can go wrong, but the benefits are also tremendous and, Why aren't we spending way more money on getting, you know, we should be acquiring uh, patents, right? As a public, acquiring patents to put into a database for everybody to use. Why not? Well, that even goes back
1: to the 18th century. I mean, Denis Diderot and the Encyclopedia. Have you ever Mm -mm. studied that? Mm -mm. It's a great text of the Enlightenment, right? This multi-volume, took decades to write Diderot was the editor, he got you know thousands of writers from all over Europe to contribute. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it was just like farming technology. Wow. Or industrial technology. And it had the imagery and these is are stuff that'd be patented and be copyright violations that mm-hmm. it was done today. But this was stuff like this is what farmers are doing in this part of France, you know. You know, maybe farmers in England can learn from this. Mm-hmm. So if you go if you just flip through the encyclopedia. Because it's all in French, unless you can, you know, I guess it might be translated. I don't know. But I just flipped through it and I was just amazed at just all the schematics of different technologies, like Mm -hmm. this type of iron, this type of steel plow, or this type of well, and pages and pages of that kind of stuff. And I was just like, this is a public good. It is a public good. It it isn't
0: like just like a theoretical public good is like, oh, wouldn't it be nice and everybody be happy? No, it's like, this is actually really needed. Somebody needs to do this. Right, and they say, "Oh my God, finally, I can solve this problem I have." That's why they I mean, the, YouTube. The, the, go
1: for it. YouTube's a great kind of. It, it's kind of communist, I think, except that is owned by a corporation, a capitalist what, you corporation. Got,
0: you're saying millions of people uh, I mean, you uploading got, content to help other people. That, yeah, you it's, think it's that's literally I two, got it.
1: from each according to <laughs> their abilities. I have an ability to do something. I make yeah. a video. Yeah. I know how to train a cat to sleep through the night. Right. Uh, cuz I just watched a video like that, you know. So someone out there helped me cuz I need to start training my cat to sleep through the night mm-hmm. so I can get a decent night's sleep and that's what I needed. So two each according to their needs and then someone who had the ability and in fact there was dozens of people who had that ability and they put the videos.
0: <clears throat> yeah, it's And there's a there's a built-in feedback system that I'd be happy to participate yeah. in if it was publicly owned. But I don't put thumbs up and stuff like that generally. I don't leave comments because I think, why am I helping uh, Sergey Brin get richer? <laughs> why am I helping yeah. uh, this platform which has serious problems of censorship and demonetization? Um, look, i not sure advertising is the, the, the way it should be funded either. But what I can no, say is – it- Let's do one thing I mean, at a time. Public
1: utilities—the answer.
0: Yeah. Like, I, but at
1: this point, I'm not sure. I mean, is there going to be a competitor that's going to just come up, some guy, and working in his basement, who's going to figure out some better platform, or is it just so ingrained in our kind of
0: nothing culture? True. All profits are temporary. Yeah, this is something I've always. I, been I suppose about I, maybe people in the past classes. thought like,
1: what was the what was before Facebook? What was that? Uh, MySpace. MySpace, right? Maybe at the time, people thought, oh, MySpace will never go away. But <laughs> well, it's still around, it, just, I think. <laughs> it has so much potential for good.
0: And oh, we'd be diminished if, like, if it
1: went under and all that knowledge was lost.
0: And it does. Some of it does get lost. People delete their channels because of problems or YouTube deletes it. And it's, most of this stuff is not being archived. Almost nothing is being archived by archive.org in there's no mp3 files from our streaming audio. So in a way, we're actually in a lot more danger of losing a lot of our public goods than we are from books. So I know nobody thinks about this right now. They're all busy with whatever it is they're doing right this minute. Right. But when well, I, think delete- the, I
1: think of the poor social history. Yeah, I just think of the poor social historians fifty years from well, now. Well, we're, we're
0: creating we're creating a new dark age. We're we're creating a new dark yeah. age for our our descendants, if there are any, in five hundred years. If you don't like, if I have a book and I put it on my shelf and I die, and somebody puts it in a trunk, somebody puts that trunk up for sale, and it ends up in somebody else's library five hundred years later, um, and then Google comes and scans it, uh, we still have that knowledge. But right now, with all the digital content being created, it's almost none of it's being archived. We've got archive.org, which is doing the Wayback Machine, which takes snapshots of websites. It's almost all text and images. There's almost no video and virtually no MP3s or audio, and they don't archive all the millions of and even if even when they do archive stuff you know they're taking snapshots of twitter feeds right it isn't such that it's searchable <laughs> so if you have the address of a website that you know existed back in uh, 1998 um you can find it but there's no search engine for 1998 and these are best do- these are things best done by um Big organizations, whether they be governments or public uh, uh, crown corporations, as we call them, or whatever, because who who is our, who is or getting their money from? From people, right? It's not yeah. coming from governments generally, and and it's and it's not expansive enough. So, uh this is a I think this is a good book for showing a lot of the stuff like it's it's pretty hard to understand why the soviet system collapsed uh, because the the story we're told is that uh ronald reagan outspent them on nuclear weapons i don't think that that's true i don't think that that's the explanation no um because you know they did spend more they sp- spent a lot um but i don't think that that's the explanation I think there's other things to to go in there, and a lot of it was probably uh, cyclical in in I, I, I'm I'm not expert enough to well, say, but
1: I mean, I, I think a notable thing about the fall of the Soviet Union is they broke up precisely into 15 ethno states, and you know the for better or for worse, and maybe for the better in a way. I mean, it's maybe to the credit of the Stalin era leaders that they, they actually cultivate ethnic these different nations. And you know, there's a great book about this called The Affirmative Action Empire, which argues about which is really about Stalin's ethnic policy and how they really work to create these different national identities, you know, and put them into the state kind of as separate entities. Mm-hmm. So these national identities remain. They weren't kind of homogenized into one single Soviet kind of new man mm-hmm. right and during the war kind of you got the much more strong russian nationalism emerging and that kind of exacerbated i think that so there's an ethnic dimension to the fall of the soviet union mm-hmm. in addition to like the planning the kind of the you know the just the difficulty of transitioning to a consumer economy from the heavy industry economy mm-hmm. like i talked about in this book mm-hmm. uh, but nevertheless i mean that achievement of Beating the Nazis, industrializing Russia, and like being the premier space power in 30 years. It's It's amazing. Even with like all the chaos of, I mean, the argument of this book is that it was kind of, at least for the first, you know, 20, 30 years, pretty poorly planned because people didn't really know what they were doing. And, you know, there was bad information and you know not really proper communications and systems and there's st- some and, and all disincentives these things.
0: caused by yeah. probably ideology uh um, yeah it's it seems and just this
1: authoritarian approach right yeah. you know, i think when you th- the command economy idea this that we're going to we want so much steel produced so then there's an incentive for people to say oh we produce as much steel or to overproduce uh something that's not needed you get those bottlenecks and those different problems. That's that's all true. But that wasn't a problem of bad... That's just because the planning was really poorly done.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the consequences of failure were um, bad, so you try not to have that be on your report. <laughs> it's on somebody else's report. Yeah. Um, which is... Uh, I mean, this is actually... Uh, it's sort of what we're, we're, we're looking at the twitter and youtube videos of what's going on in the states right now uh, may 31st 2020 um we don't know how it's going to turn out um but there are this is feedback <laughs> this yeah, is feedback is. for uh, discontent um not not it's not only racism that's not what it's only yeah. about that's the trigger um we've seen this trigger go off before but it seems to be bigger this time and um it's a weird time because um normally you're not supposed to wear masks in the street, right? <laughs> and now uh there's a lot of people without masks in the street and I'm like, "Oh yeah, that's funny." They what uh, I think somebody tweeted um remember remember COVID-19? <laughs> like last week weren't we all talking about uh <laughs> COVID-19? So um th- there are Many things happening right now. It's going to be very interesting to read the history of what actually is going on because we don't really know. But I can tell you, it's a lot of feedback and a lot of discontent. It isn't so much yeah. that the stores don't have stock on shelves, although there has been a little bit of that as an issue, you know, at least for yeah. PPE products or whatever. Um, rather it's, there are people not able to pay for things. And people getting kicked out of their homes, and the looting is not happening on the low end as much as it's happening on the high end, right? Um, well, looting, my
1: my my friend was watching the live feeds, mm-hmm. and she was talk she was talking to me. I wasn't really watching them because there's been, there's a meeting in Beijing, so all the VPNs have been kind of messed with. Okay, so I hadn't had good internet this week, but um, she was watching the live feeds, and she was she said she was really struck by one looter who looted like a, a car seat <laughs> right and, yeah. and he looted like baby stuff uh-huh. right? baby formula car seat stuff like that Amazing. and other people were looting like the iPhones <laughs> or whatever that kind of stuff Right. but she was really touched by that and that really kind of made the point for her <laughs> that you know yeah. many people are just at the end of their rope you know not only that like the, the bailout of the just the general populace in the US was so it's, Incompetent, it's, it was basically nothing unplanned N- nothing. <laughs> a, a 1200 hundred dollar check very late that's as well barely gonna pay rent gonna, yeah and it's barely gonna pay rent and it's been three months and they've gotten 1200 bucks yeah it's it's not enough to keep people's head above water on this time and
0: it's not like canada. you know it's a poor country right canada has done more than double that already i'm gonna get my third covid Uh, $2,000 and that's not enough. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's enough for me, but I don't have any kids and I have a roommate. So the idea here of, uh, you know, this being, it's a market a market's going to solve everything? No, it won't. You actually have to have some people in charge planning things, making things happen, getting responding to feedback, not just feedback of uh those who, you know, they're in the employ of but uh are they're funding their campaigns, I should say, cuz their employers are technically <laughs> I don't know. Maybe maybe they are maybe the people who fund their campaigns are their employers. It's kind of hard to say at this point. Um, but yeah, voting voting for Biden's not going to solve all your problems. <laughs> not if you think it is, <laughs> you're going to see this happen again. Oh my god, it's so funny. That's a, a really good book, though. I I uh, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it like it's it. it's funny.
1: We should we should sh- do a shout out for for sci fi
0: though. Uh yeah.
1: So there's, this book read plenty. Um, there's a mention of Frederick Jameson's book, The Archaeologists of the Future. Uh-huh. Have you got a look at that? No, no. It's really tough. Wow. Um, but that's apparently where he wrote that he, in a footnote. He first was the one who made the comment, maybe Walmart's a socialist kind of yeah, yeah. ploy. And then he wrote an article about that later on, which I didn't read. But The archeology of the Future, It's it's tough. It's like literary theory, but mm-hmm. it's... It's worth just skimming. It's got a great chapter on Phil Dick. Um, but he wrote another book more recently called *An American Utopia*, mm-hmm. where he talks about uh, basically his thesis. There is that since the Americans fetishize the flag and the military so much, that should be the the vehicle for socialism, a universal army, wow. basically universal conscription. Yeah, because you have you have. You have like, you'd have planning then, right? He, right, essentially a planned economy. The military.
0: Yep.
1: Right. And they all, are, they all know, have healthcare. healthcare yep. Everyone, everyone's needs Housing, are provided for. Their food. Right. Yep. And I mean, he makes it. It's a little bit jokey because at one time he says like, we should put the pacifists, you know, in charge of making the weapons, <laughs> you know. But but there's a deeper point there that he thinks a universal army would be less likely to fight wars. Uh, because if everyone is in the military,
0: absolutely. You would, I mean the the way the, the way just the the way people, it like works now, now in the, war, the states, people right? go to war all the time. That's right. Because the poorest one percent are like keep them poor, the make them join the army. When they're in the army, they have to follow orders. They can leave whenever they want, mm. and uh, you know, when their term is up, and if they don't like it, um, they can go back to their shit job at Walmart. Right. Yeah. Um and mm-hmm. at, that's the, it's it's really weird that that's how it sort of worked out. But yeah, conscription was a good idea if you want to prevent war because people don't want to go fight them. And how many? How many? Yeah, that uh, was
1: Nixon's brilliance, right? Was getting rid of the draft, right? That put an end to the protest against yep. the war.
0: Absolutely, it's, and it did. It's, right. it's, yeah. Very clever. Um, um, if if you I, want that as your goal, <laughs> to uh, stop put an end to the protests rather than put an end to the war. Um, so the other uh, science fiction book that's in here uh, mentioned is uh, a book by Francis Spufford. I've not read called Red Plenty. Have you? Have you? Uh, I've read, read It might that. be a yeah, collection. That. Of, um, but okay. it sounds like it's. Uh, it says, the Soviet Union was founded on a fairy tale. It was built on the 20th century magic called the Planned Economy, which was going to gush forth an abundance of goods, things that the penny-pinching land of capitalism could never match. Um, so, it's, and if you think about... It's a Soviet book. Yeah, if you think about how, how the United States really had to try and catch up from what the Soviets were doing a lot, right? It wasn't like um, suddenly uh, they came out of nowhere and, uh, you know, the Soviets are trying to catch up to them. It's the other way around. It's The Soviets are ahead on this, they're ahead on that, and... Even in economics,
1: that was mm-hmm. a, kind of a, a revelation of this book, too, right? that how much American economists, or not even economic, like because those are people are such... They're really in the ideology too much, but right. just business people um, right. borrowed stuff that the Soviets were doing,
0: and and it's based on the technology. So it's not like mm-hmm. it, it's not generally like uh, we need to steal this uh, this communist idea. Rather that this technology allows this thing to happen, and that's why you know it's it, it's really interesting to that cyber. What's it called? Cyber sin. Um, the Chilean mm-hmm. internet, I was like, oh, yeah. uh, it makes so much sense. When, when you read about the history of aircraft, right, airplanes, uh, the Wright brothers weren't alone. There were a lot of people doing that, trying to make airplanes right at that time. The Wright brothers had, like, um, kind of a shitty, actually, design. <laughs> Their design was okay. Um, but what they were lucky with is they were uh, bicycle guys, and they, they knew kind of what they were doing, and they got the right size engine. Right, it's just got sort of mm. the perfect combination of stuff. There was another guy in Switzerland. I think this is on uh, connections, um, and I was like, "Holy crap!" This other guy in S- Switzerland, uh, even better design, it looked to me. I mean, based on later designs, um, and he ordered he ordered an engine, you know, and it was just it was too heavy. Uh, but oh. He was taken off on water, which is much much you know much better way to take off than on land um and uh yeah so like it 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 makes sense that somebody else was coming up solving the same kind of problems as uh DARPA is going to be trying to solve which is you know um distribute well for different reasons but using the connections of computers between each other and having data entry being centralized like via telephone basically <laughs> except nobody writing it down is all data coming in, of course it's going to be useful and, and valuable. I mean, imagine if we turned off the Internet for the world right now, I think we'd be in more trouble than any kind of uh, uh, disease, <laughs> right? Because everything is run through the Internet. I mean, uh, the f- I don't even have a landline phone anymore. How would I, How would I communicate with anybody? I could communicate by cell network, I guess, but a lot of that is controlled by the internet too. So mm-hmm. it's a, a very, very interesting book. Uh,
1: and uh, Yeah, one well other written. book we should mention though is mm-hmm. The Iron Heel. Oh, you yeah. did an episode on that, right? Yep, absolutely. So there's one of my favorite chapters in The Iron Heel is when he's having this socialist meeting, Ernst Everhart, the mm-hmm. protagonist of the story, mm-hmm. He's having a meeting, and it's a, it's a socialist meeting, and the grocers come. And the grocers say, like, we're with you. We're with the revolution because they hate, like, the, the Walmart, essentially the equivalent of the Walmart that's <laughs> that's entered into their – destroyed their business. And I said, we're with you because we want to go back to the – we want to get back our mom-and-pop grocery stores. Mm-hmm. And Ernst Everhart goes into this long speech. And so much of that novel are just long it's social speeches. It's a
0: lot speeches. of long speeches,
1: yes. <laughs> yeah. But this is a good one because uh, he says, "No, we're not going to restore your little mom and pop stores. We're going to take over the Walmart, and mm-hmm. we're going to we're going we're, we're not going to turn our back on progress. You know, we're going to use progress to usher in the socialism." And I was actually kind of surprised these authors didn't mention Iron Hill because Jack London made the same argument that these guys made mm-hmm. are making. Well, not, not, ev-
0: not everybody's as well-read as you and I. <laughs> yeah, I suppose. <laughs> um, I want to point out also that, you know, as much as we lament the passing of bookstores in favor of online bookstores that deliver... Me, not so much. Uh, I, 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 I'm of two minds about, about it. You
1: talk about comic book stores a lot, right? That
0: I was going to bring that up. So comic book stores are different. And, you know, Amazon does not do, it does do comic book sales, but they don't do floppies generally. And the services that do are very disliked generally by, I mean, there, there's a reason they're pushing so hard on comicology for everybody to get into digital comics. Well, fuck you. I don't want digital comics. I want to not read from a screen. I want to read, I want to read a floppy. And I also like this idea of, Maybe keeping things, um, uh, for uh, yeah. future generations. Um, you own it in the sense that you can access it whenever you want by turning on a light or going outside, right? Um, anyways, uh, comic book stores are kind of outside the loop of regular bookstores. I just, I literally just ordered some books from chapters. I got three in the mail in two deliveries and one of them has a bent corner. And I'm like, God damn it. If I was in the bookstore, I wouldn't pick this one up. But, you know, whoever packed it didn't care or whatever. But honestly, it, it's not that big a deal. If you get a, a bent comic book, um, it can be like broken. It's very easy to break comics. There, there's a reason they're called floppies, right? <laughs> so they're kind of immune. Um, and this is actually the same reason I, I talked to the librarians, <laughs> the same reason the libraries don't stock floppies. They stock newspapers, but they don't stock floppies, uh, you know, regular comic books, because they're just too f- fragile. They get damaged too easily. Most modern magazines are put together with, not that there's not many, right, with glue and, uh, you know, heavy paper. Comic books are very easily damaged. So there's kind of a cutout for them. in They really do need to be in stores, or at least they need to be in a way safely delivered to you. And because of their price point being lower, it's almost like they can't, uh, they can't be done through the normal systems. At least not the way we've set it up now. I mean, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense to get a bunch of packing peanuts, <laughs> put a bag in a board and, uh, put that in the mail. Cause the cost of the delivery of that comic would be way too high. So there are, uh, this is why, you know, as much as I complain about how many nail salons and hair places and teeth whitening spas <laughs> there are around here instead of bookstores, it makes sense, right? Cause you can't have your spa day delivered through the mail. <laughs> maybe you can, but <laughs> maybe you shouldn't. Um, so th- this is what I'm saying, you know, you can't be ideological about it if comic book stores were to go by the wayside i think it would have to be because of some new technology which we can't foresee that allows them to be worked around whereas that is not true with regular bookstores it's just not true. You you can get mm. your, your books delivered through the mail. And likewise, you know, you can't get your car fixed through the mail, <laughs> right? Maybe there's a, some service out there that comes to your house and takes your car away and fixes it for you. But I think that's the whole purpose of having a car <laughs> is that you can take it to the shop and have it fixed. So uh, we have to be uh, cognizant of that ideology is always the enemy isn't that we need to uh, all become communists and follow whatever the communist people at the top say it's like let's do the reasonable thing figure out what's good working and what's not and then we're we're good there is no uh, ideology in the in the surgery <laughs> right? he's got a bullet in him let's take it out <laughs> let's sew it up and use best practices to make sure the wound doesn't fester that's how we do this <laughs> it isn't an yeah, ideology I mean, once these
1: what we call socialist reforms are implemented, people usually don't think no. Of they, them that way. they just like them. get protesters in the United States saying, "Government, keep your hands off my Medicare," right, right, or "Keep my hands off my Social Security." It's like it's been just taken for granted as a <laughs> as a as a, a right that you get this. That it's it's not even seen as what it is, which it yeah. is kind of a socialist redistributive program. And you know, someday in the future, people will look back at our own debates as kind of. Preposterous!
0: They are. They are preposterous. We're sort of, we're, we're, we're mad about the wrong things. Mm-hmm. We're, we're worried about the wrong thing. This is really the, the main thing, is, is we're worried about the wrong things. We think, you know, we're, we're, we say, look at those looters. Well, I don't do this, but people do this. Look at those looters. They're evil. They're bad. Don't burn down your ne- own neighborhood. It's like, well, yeah, how come you're not pointing the, <laughs> at the people who just passed the biggest well transfer in the history of the universe <laughs> Yeah. under the cover of a uh, covid-19. <laughs> How am going to mentioning that well because they're not covering it that way in the news and most people aren't paying attention to the tiny little details about what's actually written in the transcripts. Um speaking of transcripts. Yeah, I- uh, uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, there's an ama- this is the best example. Do you remember uh, the lady named uh reality winner no, I don't think so. Okay, so reality, yeah, so. reality—it's hard to believe there's a real name. I couldn't believe it. I, I was like, "What? What are you talking about?" <laughs> Anyways, there's this lady named Reality Winner. She was a. Uh, uh, she, actually, dropped a letter in the a photocopy in the mail to the Intercept, of of some I don't know. It was basically, um, uh, I want to say CIA. I think it was CIA um cia uh points about uh russian interference in the 2016 election um Mm -hmm. and it turned out to be not like uh, that big a deal um but she thought it was huge because she was buying into what they were they were talking about and she said people need to know about this so she mailed this to them and uh, and then of course the intercept um uh went to the cia and say hey uh did you can we confirm that you wrote this (laughs) and it has her like phone number on it or something right so the fbi goes to her house um uh she's returning home with some groceries and i say we would we just want to talk to you um and uh she ends up confessing to it and she's in prison right now um (laughs) What's so funny about it is not that, you know, this happened, but if you go and read the transcripts, it's just an amazing drama because she seems innocent. She's acting innocent. And then they get snuggle up real close to her and they bond over how much powerlifting they do at the gym and how that dog that she has is really cute. And does she want, she's making them some tea. And then uh they confront her with the evidence that they have, and she just collapses like a house of cards. The whole story of this is it's like a comic tragedy because she bought into essentially a bullshit line of argument by the Democratic Party <laughs> and thought that there was something to it and when she saw a uh, latched onto a tiny little think of thing of it. I mean, she was hearing the denials about how it wasn't really happening. Um, she wanted to participate, but you can't get any of this story if you just watch the regular news because it's in the transcripts. It's always in like you have to read the actual stuff to believe how amazing things are out there. And that's what I, my point is is like, don't, don't just read the news and uh, say, Oh, yeah, that Jonathan Chait's right. <laughs> Cause he ain't. He's getting paid to tell you lies, and he 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 may not even know their lies, but he knows. I mean, deep down, he's got to know. Cause I'd know if I was in his position. It's it's a uh, my team, your team, sort of thing. Yeah. Ah, sorry, I interrupted you. Oh, what was I? I don't know. Going <laughs> to talk
1: about? Oh, back to the looters, right? Yeah. Like in a lot of people have been. In China, have been talking to me about, you know, things are horrible in the United States. You know, aren't you worried about, you know, what's going to happen to your family mm. or, you know, your loved ones? Like the streets are in chaos and right. you know, violence on the streets. And my response to this is always like, well, like the status quo is pretty violent, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I've been in constant fear for a couple, several years now of like my parents losing their house, mm-hmm. you know, or, li- you know, having a medical emergency and not being able to pay for it it's like yeah i've been afraid for my family but not because of you know protests on the street or looters Uh, i there's much deeper fears and it's just the violence of just the everyday is is not acknowledged and then you know, you see these protests, you're like, oh, you know, America's falling apart. Well, America's been falling apart for quite a while.
0: Yeah, no, it's 40 years of uh, neoliberalism. Yeah. Um, that's, <laughs> it's really not good for you. <laughs> yeah. It's really bad for you, in fact. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, I was making a joke yesterday uh, with an American who, friend who's obviously, uh, he's a Trumper and um, he's uh, wealthy. Um, and he, uh, I say, ah, you got, where are you going to fly? Bermuda when uh, they come for you? Yeah. <laughs> They're going to burn your house down. So when, <laughs> when they come for you, you know, what do you think? Bermuda? Because <laughs> it's off the coast of Florida, right? You can make it. He's a pilot. <laughs> and he's like, he's not responding at all. Because uh, <laughs> what are you going to say, right? <laughs> Um, oh Biden will fix it <laughs> Come on man Oh that's sad Maybe maybe by this yeah. time by the time people hear this Biden will have fixed everything
1: <laughs> Maybe So the Global Times it's usually a it's a, it's a Chinese uh, CCP rag mm-hmm. but they're fun to read uh, but. They have an article just today. Beautiful site extends from Hong Kong to U.S., Global Times Editorial. So the beautiful site is like protests. Of course, they're against the Hong Kong protests, too, right? So this idea of protests being, they're being sarcastic, right? Ah, okay. The idea of the protests, right? Um, But, you know, there's some wisdom here. Where is it?
0: Like the Um, onion-style wisdom, Yeah,
1: (laughs) yeah. The U.S. has long been a country with severe racial discrimination where its various powers are creating inequalities. When the economy develops well, the society has the ability to mitigate divergences. But once there's a large crisis, it is the people at the bottom who suffer the most. A single spark can start a prairie fire. fire. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: On Saturday, U.S. President Donald Trump claimed the protests outside the White House had little to do with the memory of George Floyd, and they were just there to cause trouble. It's a general rule that whenever chaos expands, it will have nothing to do with the initial spark. But it's both funny and annoying to see whose politicians pretend to be innocent about mm-hmm. demonstrations. You know, I think th- they're kind of they're right here. Oh yeah, like, they're acknowledging there's these deep systemic issues, right? If I guess because the Global Times is thinks kind of socialism and Chinese characteristics is somehow a vastly superior <laughs>
0: system, which I'm not convinced of at
1: all. <clears throat> but. Whatever.
0: Superior for what is my question, right? You know,
1: is it superior for creating because a. Because there's a lot of expats here yeah. who are like, just, they just hate the Communist Party of China. They, mm. they kind of don't like China that much. Mm-hmm. They're always critical of it. And they end up being kind of American and, and always sticking up for America. And then there's other expats who kind of it just embrace China and. and Turn their back on America entirely, hmm. and I'm kind of in the middle. I don't, I, I don't pick kind of either side there. I just kind of think they both sort of suck. I, uh, uh,
0: yeah, they're in unique ways. I, 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 I find it very difficult to empathize with a whole country. I, I know people yeah. from that country or in that country, and I mm-hmm. feel sorry for them or I feel happy for them when good things happen, but. <clears throat> It's it's basically a landmass with a legal system, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure any particular legal system is uh, is worth dying for, <laughs> as long as they're you know fair and yep. just. I would say that's a good thing, but n- few of them are. Uh, so mm-hmm. let's just uh, let's. I, I like. Uh, I mean, British Columbia is pretty big. probably too big to govern on it. <laughs> you know, all of it well um go small and you know federate uh maybe let's all get on bitcoin or whatever and then uh, yeah i I think
1: i think maybe the book didn't quite do enough i think of explaining what maybe they can't i mean it's not really fair to you know they did a good job with their modest goal i think it of hoped a little bit more clarity on what this kind of democratic central planning would be. The Chilean stuff got the closest, I think, mm-hmm. to articulate that. And then the, the last couple of chapters are very aspirational. Um, but yeah, I, I think given sufficient like data processing capacity, maybe that makes federation decentralization kind of the anarchist stream of, of networks of decentralized communities. Think of, kind of uh, federated together, maybe it makes it more possible make you know to
0: actualize Venezuela's doing incredibly well for how terrible they started um you know, mm-hmm. and like people are uh, people are still getting fed, which is pretty impressive um they're under extreme sanctions, right? It's crazy Iran is sending them gasoline, because <laughs> they don't you know they've got the reserves, but they don't have the. The wherewithal, the ability, the exports, the prices, all this, they leaned way, so planning there was fucked up. They fu- leaned way too heavily on their, their, uh, exports. Um, and so you can screw things up by p- planning badly, but they're also doing incredibly well. Like, just think of, you know, the, the a recent aborted attempt to overthrow the government by, uh, american mercenaries like they got those guys really fast right um and those guys were badly planned (laughs) but you know they were like sending tweets about how they're going out to overthrow venezuela (laughs) you just have a like you can you can have kind of competence and and skill and and uh get the outcomes that you want if you are able to Dynamically change your plans when they are going awry. Yeah. I think that, uh, that, that, that's not so much emphasized in this book as much as that's the takeaway. I think, you know, mm-hmm. looking at all the different examples of where things went well and where things went badly. Um, ideology seems to be the thing that really fucks you up. you Say, whatever Stalin says goes. <laughs> Um, mm-hmm. it's okay when, uh, he's saying the right things, right? Build more tanks. Move back from the Urals, right? Retreat from the Urals. The, com- the command economy, um, is okay as long as the commands, uh, are dynamic and not static. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's the, you know, makes, it's just reinforcing my, I, I used to argue with some, you know, back in the atheist days. Uh, not that I'm not an atheist now. It's just, uh, on the internet, it was fun to argue with people about stuff like this because it sort of clarifies your own thinking. And there was a guy who's like, no, you have an ideology. I'm like, I'm pretty sure I don't. (laughs) It's not, you believe X, Y, and Z. You believe this. And like, no, I don't think I, I, I mean, I think this seems to be true. I do believe generally when I put my shoes under my bed, uh, this is one of his arguments. Um, <laughs> my shoes under my bed when I go to sleep, that they're going to be there in the morning. Well, I don't believe it as a point of faith. I just think it's unlikely anybody would sneak into my room and steal my shoes. But they might still do that. And so when I look under my bed in the morning to put my shoes on, uh, if they're not there, my world isn't shaken to its core. And it's like, huh, where are my shoes? <laughs> it's not an ideological belief. That the shoes must be there because they were, right? And yeah. a, a lot of what's going on is, is, is like willful blindness, right? <laughs> Any blue will do. <laughs> My party right or wrong? My country right or wrong? I'll never apologize for the United States of America. I don't care what the, right? The line from George, George, Bush, George H.W. Bush. <laughs> it's a selling feature for a lot of people. To me, that's, well, what if they did something really wrong? <laughs> and the yeah. answer is, no. <laughs> so that that kind of uh, commitment to, uh, you know, I don't care if my son killed your son. He's a good boy. <laughs> well, <laughs> but the fact that he ran him over is probably a bad thing. No, it's my <laughs> son, right or wrong.
1: So. <laughs> well, the fact that these police departments are still stuck in, like, 1980s war on drugs mentality if you don't vote for biden you're not black all the evidence come on yeah (laughs) all the evidence building up for the last 40 years proves that this is totally counterproductive you know we're we're 20 years after the wire kind of yeah and you would have thought would have like clearly laid this out for anyone who cared to watch it all the liberals who are watching it and and loving it um Yeah, that's what I should watch for in these protests is like police incompetence, you know, because, you know, it'll be fun. (laughs) But also show that that badly planned institutions.
0: (laughs) Well, I think we got pretty good. What do you think? Yeah, I like this book. It's a good book. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com, and thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider becoming a patron at Patreon.com/sffaudio. <laughs> finally, out! Ha- it's yeah. finally out! Ha- finally happening. Sort of. Yeah. We'll see. I'm going to put my headphones on, and then. Uh, uh, I don't think, uh, Will's going to join us. He's busy, uh, uh, contributing to the mess. <laughs> oh, really? Uh, I think so, yeah. Well, that's good. Yeah, he's, uh, doing, uh, legal observer stuff. Mm. I don't know if, uh, I don't know. I don't, it didn't seem that exciting on his end. He was, like, supervising a colleague's car breaking down, um, and uh, I, don't know, I don't know how big it was in uh, Kentucky yeah. uh, right. yeah, it didn't, that didn't show up on the map too much no? okay is there a map?
1: Yeah. well I have one map of all the protests I found yeah. it somewhere
0: okay there's a lot going on uh, Yeah. I think there was uh, some Black Lives Matter ones in Vancouver and Toronto as well which is cute because we're like we too, you know. And it's like, <laughs> yeah. which is cool.
1: But my uh, mom just sends me my mom with bush derangement or Trump derangement syndrome. Yeah. sends me the sends me a Facebook message saying something like this is all the the attorney general's fault. uh
0: like, don't think so.
1: She's like so clueless about this.
0: It's hard, you
1: know. It's it's like these are. Deeply rooted systemic issues, you know. It's yeah,
0: and there's just one thing. There's a lot of uh, just not like the one that I saw yesterday that um, mm-hmm. really annoyed me <laughs> was uh, I think it's Jonathan Chait. <laughs> He's yeah. a New York Times uh, opinion writer, quote unquote, and he uh, he was writing about let's see, what was it? Uh, maybe it wasn't yesterday. Maybe it was two days ago. It was a uh, the. Uh, transcripts show Flynn, uh, lied to mm. the, no, Flynn was co- colluding, <laughs> quote unquote, colluding with the Russians. And what this is the old story that we heard before. Um, so I, I, I did a lot of work to dig up those transcripts everybody's quoting from. Mm. I'm reading and reading and reading and like, no, it's exactly what, <laughs> what Max Blumenthal <laughs> yeah. and the other people all said he he's he, he's the incoming guy <laughs> right he's not actually taken office yet so um on december 29th obama lays some new sanctions on russia and he calls up the kislyak guy and says look uh we know you have to retaliate um but we're hoping that you won't uh re- retaliate more then uh you need to so that you don't box us in right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so they they're saying that that's colluding <laughs> it's uh, it's definitely undermining the outgoing administration's idea of let's go to war with Russia <laughs> yeah <laughs> let's let's uh, escalate things with uh, nuclear power come on <laughs> it'll be fun um <laughs> but that's not colluding he didn't actually say if you do this uh, we'll do this. And they're saying, oh, under the Logan Act, um, he's uh, as a uh, non-governmental person at that time he was, right? Uh, mm-hmm. He he is committing a crime. Actually, he's saying, when we get into office, we're hoping to work with you. This is exactly like what um, it's actually way less than what Reagan was accused of. Uh, for the hostages, oh. right? Seems yeah, to me. That was,
1: mm-hmm.
0: So, I was like, uh, I just and so if you like uh, somebody I follow retweeted that stupid Jonathan tweet thing, tweet, uh, chate thing. So I had to. It's in my feed. I'm looking at it. I'm like, pretty sure this is bullshit. So I spent like half an hour. I can look it out. Oh. Reading the stupid article that says collusion at the end with quotation marks around it. And the the quotation marks come from the writer of the essay, right? right. Rather than anywhere in the in the thing. Um, and it's the, like the last word or something. And it's like, yeah. So you just wrote to the headline and you're trying to gaslight your line to your own audience yet again. And so, yeah, if you're a person who's just angry at everything around you, I was thinking how much this is like um, mom and dad are both drug users <laughs> and they're both stealing from your trust fund <laughs> and uh, you're siding with one of the parents because yeah. one of them is nice. <laughs> While she, she's saying, your dad's so mean to me. <laughs> it's like they're both drug users. Don't Don't pick sides. You know, get together and vote third party, or don't vote at all.
1: I, I just, I can't believe how much like the people in my life they think that if like Biden's just elected, then oh, Jesus, well it's going to be they can't feel it. it National right? right? The decline of the American Empire is going to be stopped by a senile old man becoming president just because he's a little bit. Nicer
0: on Twitter. <laughs> 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 He's not that much nicer. What was the one yeah. he said? If you don't vote for we me, you're not black. Vote for him, yeah. <laughs> no, no. He says he, he says uh, to somebody named Charlemagne the God, um, some podcaster guy, yeah. uh, he who's saying, you know, uh, I want to vote for you, but you you have to understand my position. Um, <laughs> and yeah. Biden's like, I gotta go. My wife needs the Skype or whatever it is, yeah. and. um, and so he says, "Just understand this: if you if you don't vote for me, you're not black." <laughs> and Charlemagne the God's like, "No, no, you don't understand. What we want is some concrete things." <laughs> it's like he wasn't yeah. reacting to it like a you racist son of a bitch. It's just he's so out of touch, and that's basically, I think, the issue for a lot lot of people. They're just so out of touch.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And. Uh, you know, it's no—it's no wonder, given how uh, how bad the media is, the uh, ones that control the television and radio waves. CBC's fucking terrible.
1: Oh yeah, I want—I I don't even want to watch what they're doing with these protests. I, I've been getting a lot of stuff about these outside agitators. Oh, you know, I'm on, thinking yeah. solidarity protesters. Great, you know. Yeah, and it turns out that it was the Minneapolis they're 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 from, that's Wonderful.
0: Yeah, Minnesota. Now
1: outside agitators, maybe associated with the alt right, mm-hmm. maybe associated with. With like MAGA people, I don't okay, know. So. Maybe some of them. Maybe there's aid, agent provocateurs. You
0: know, oh, there's definitely. Did you see yeah, the uh, working for the police? Yeah. Did you see the guy with the black umbrella breaking windows? Oh yeah, I saw that a bit of that. Yeah. Yeah, and and then Max Blumenthal uh, had another video that was really interesting, um, where he's in a cordoned off section of D.C and there's a black truck sitting there um he sees some guy get out of it um and he says are you with the police <laughs> um and he says no cnn and then he goes to the truck <laughs> uh, he's not dressed in the cnn you know gear or anything like that it's not a cnn truck and then he goes to, they're all dressed in black then he goes to the truck and in the truck there's uh, a couple guys dressed in black and he says that guy who just got out, got out of here you guys, uh, cops? And they say, Oh, no, we're just hanging or whatever. Okay. And, and he says, Are you CNN? And he says, Oh, yeah, we're just hanging, man. <laughs> I see your colleague says you're <laughs> CNN. And then they're, uh, you know, CNN confirms, Oh, that was definitely our reporter. So it's like, well, yeah, there's also, you know, we don't know what the situation yet is yet, but. Operation yeah. Mockingbird's a thing, so you can kind of be both, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah. So, it's real fucked up. <laughs> it's real fucked mm-hmm. up, and it's very interesting, and I, I think it's it's high time. I, I'm pretty sure Will's not going to join us. I'm just going to confirm by uh, tweeting at him. Uh, yeah, that's a pity. I uh, want to hear what he had to say. About yeah, this one. me too. Um, it's a good book. Oh, we'll get to it, though. Okay. How, oh, mm-hmm. yes, okay. So, um... Joining us question mark. And, oh, so uh, must be interesting watching it all from all the way around the world in a Yeah.
1: You know, well we Another kind we of got bubble. the Hong Kong stuff. Oh yeah. We got yeah. Whenever I turn the VPN off, all I got is like the Chinese propaganda media.
0: What are they saying about is, it? Well,
1: it's been kind of weird lately. It's been really anti-U.S. Like, it's been really pushing like Chinese success with the COVID-19 and how they're a model for the rest of the world and how everyone else is praising them except the U.S. because they're just being dicks. Um, and you know, with the U.S. trying to punish Hong Kong, or they're really trying to punish China, right? Mm-hmm. By getting rid of Hong Kong special status and it's it's like oh US is interfering I kind of agree though with the State Department on this that if if, if you're not going to have a special autonomous region you know you're kind of having your cake in you eat it too if you're getting all the special mm-hmm. trade privileges
0: mm-hmm.
1: so I'm kind of cool with them saying okay you know Hong Kong's like, just basically part of China now, for all intents and purposes. That's what China wants.
0: Yeah. Well, I, it was it was really just a delaying tactic, right? Mm. So, it, it's going to happen one day, and it might as well be now.
1: Here's here's my thought on that, actually. I think I, One Country, Two Systems, when it first was established by Deng Xiaoping, even before the Hong Kong handover, it was always the olive branch to Taiwan.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So that was like you could plan. be you could be part of us. It, well, there was the, the plan for Taiwan back mm-hmm. when it was still the KMT running Taiwan that oh, we'll we'll get them to unify on you know one country, two systems. And then they kind of try it out in Hong Kong. But I, I think now they know Taiwan's lost. You know, they just reelected mm-hmm. the pro independence president with a bigger margin the second time. And it was mostly a referendum on China. I think they know they lost like anyone in Taiwan who's under eight, 60 that wants nothing to do with China.
0: I'm not a so, big I'm not big into uh nations anyways, countries. I think yeah. that's a bad idea. So that's fine. I mean whatever, just everybody get along. You know, if we if we weren't spending yeah, so, so well, much money on our military things. all the time.
1: There's no real reason for them to keep up this one country two systems nonsense for Hong Kong anymore.
0: Yeah. Uh, what, right. uh, what's this story? Actually, I
1: actually think though, like a federal system, might work. Might have some value in in a country as big as China. I, I'm just not sure unitary states work well. I mean, the Soviets under Stalin were sort of a tried to be more of a unitary state.
0: I think we're British I think we're straying into uh, our yeah. our show territory. So why don't we it's why don't we start too
1: much into the ethnic policy at all? But <laughs> it's Kind of went back and forth. It was a union of, of republics, right? Mm-hmm. Union of different nations. And um. China doesn't really have that because it's like ninety four percent Han Chinese. It's still so big though, and it's so diverse across the provinces. You know that, and, and they're kind of doing this with like the special administrative regions, the special economic zones. They kind of say, oh, you you this province will try free market. We'll keep more kind of central planning everywhere else it's they sort of do this but they still have this kind of fetish for unity everything kind of must be unified and all power has to flow from beijing i don't know it's just their kind of political culture i guess you ready let's do this thing